talking about chicken a la king Mango and garbanzo tabbouleh Real potatoes and vegetables With roasted garlic and basil Zucchini ziti Granola fruit bar Look at all this beautiful food Hello, I'm Dan Adude, and welcome to Green Eggs and Dan. Like many of you, I'm stuck at home during this pandemic, eating and drinking my face off. And so are most of my guests. So that leaves me with a laptop from 2012. And we are live. My own mic and me alone in a room. Yeah. Hoping my guests are able to record their half of the conversation. We're not live, but here we are. So bear with us. Look at all this beautiful food. My guest today is one of the funniest comedians I know and one of my favorite comics to see live. Jonathan Kite is known mostly for his impressions, which are creepily on point. You may also know him from his role as Oleg Goliszewski on Two Broke Girls. But most importantly, he is one of only a small handful of comedians with insane foodie chops. He spends a lot of his time traveling the world in search of great meals, which I ain't mad at. Please welcome Jonathan Kite. Hi, Jonathan. What's up, dude? So good to see you. I ran into my downstairs neighbor, who's the head chef uh, of Barton G. That's why it took a minute for me to text you. Okay. And um, I was telling him about you because he's like, he's the head chef for the world. So Dubai, wherever they have a location, Miami, Los Angeles. And um, I was like, you guys should definitely talk. Oh, wow. He's Hungarian. He is... He lives, we live in the same apartment complex and we've become, I've known him forever for like, he's lived there for 10 years, but you know, I was describing you to him and I was like, you are so hard to follow on stage that like, you're just because like, I mean, I'm sure your listeners and viewers have seen you live, but if they haven't, like, I'm always excited to be on a show with you because I genuinely like you. Whereas I don't tend to have like, I have some friends that are comedians, I would say. But I yeah. don't think the people that I necessarily, um, you know, because you jokingly text me like I want to be friends with you when we were texting, and I was like, we, I think you and I are actually friends. Yeah. Um, and then, but I, whenever we're on a show together, I mean, I, I probably should follow you because it's like it'll help me to be a better comic. But oh, I'm always like, fuck. But I'm like, because you have such a crusher, and then yeah. I'm always when I have to follow you, and I'm like sitting there, and I'm like, we get it. It's really funny. And like, I'm like the audience and I'm like, okay, you don't have to applause break now. Cause then that's when I have to come in. And then they're like, well, this is probably the end of the show. There's one more comic. Oh, there's another guy. Oh, well, we paid our tab on that one. Okay. Guys, they're like unbuttoning. They're putting their purse, their jacket down. Like give it up for a guy that probably doesn't need to do anything right now. And then I got to go up. Wow. Well, First of all, that is a that is a, that is an insane compliment, and I will say this, and I'm not saying this uh, to wax poetic, but I feel the same exact way when I'm on a show with you. I'm like, please say I'm going on before Jonathan, because you and I, I feel like, I feel like we know how to whip up a crowd into a frenzy, <laughs> which other comedians hate that because I feel like it's there's fun. It's a it's a fun thing. It's a different skill, I think, whipping a crowd into a frenzy than just like being a great comic. It's a I totally thing. agree with you. Yeah. Um, and I think that you and I are both very good at it, which which other comics must hate us for. Well, I think you know what it is. Is part of it is like um, it it really sets the. It's like a it's like a volley or a, a volley in tennis or ping pong. We're like the ball's coming to us, but we're like, no, I'm gonna do this with it. And then you sort of like, good night, America. And then it's like, 
they get up there and they're like, whereas like sometimes, like, especially if there's like a comic who, who talks, who sort of sits back and just talks. I think that's a, can be a hard energy sometimes to come into. Yeah. 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 No, but we, Um, we come, we come in hot. We definitely come in hot. But I think I can, I can say that one of the things that I bond on with you most is your, are your food chops, which I remember, I, I've always liked you as a person. And then when I realized that you are this insane food nerd, I was like, oh my God. Yeah, I think that's something that we, as you know, traveling, obviously you're as, as a comedian, you get the opportunity to go to places and really take, instead of like going to a place here where it's like, we really do Carolina barbecue well here. But then like you go to Carolina. And yeah. Like, I'll take the thing that like your grandma would eat. Yeah. And so I would, that was the one thing. That was one of the reasons like I, traveled so much doing comedy when I had the opportunity to, cause I was like, well, dude, I want to go to taste. Cause North Carolina was the first place I ever traveled to do stand up. And I remember uh, I did comedy zone and I remember this guy, Mike, who took me around. Um, and I was like, dude, I just want Carolina barbecue. Like that's what, whatever authentically you would have. And I think that that was like the most memorable thing from the whole trip. Like the crowds were great and the comedy was fun and like, but I remember, and then I remember the dude salting everything. And I love, and I just, I love that about people. And I love that there are new spins on things and being from Chicago where obviously Grant Atkins has like Alinea and Next and him doing like molecular gastronomy. And so I was always fascinated with the idea of taking something that everybody thinks they know which is sort of comedy, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's like, I'm going to talk about men and women. And you're like, well, okay. But you have to do it at a certain point because you need to find a, a starting point to relate to people. And then you're like, no, no, no. What if I, there's this, the most impressive thing I ever had was at this restaurant called Next, which is Grant Atkins's like second restaurant. It's in Chicago. Yeah. You, it's a very cool you know place. It. It's like every six months or whatever, he changes it's the restaurant. three times a year, yeah. And they do a theme. And so the first time I ever ate there, I had a Kiseki style uh banquet from kyoto japan and that's like um traditionally like for those visually it's where you sit in the floor and you have the long table and you they bring you out courses and yes they're supposed to mirror the season in a way they're like tiny little things yes and the first thing we ever got my buddy and i was like this tea that was it looked like um like a tea like it was a japanese tea and so my mind was thinking it will definitely taste in this sort of realm. And then I drank it and it was made from corn husks. Mm. And so it like blew my mind because it was like, I was eating a hot dog, but it tastes like ice cream. And so my brain like could not, it was one of those real, like, like, you know, synapse failures where you're kind of like, Whoa. Yeah. And, you know, sort of getting out of your comfort zone and, um, so I always liked that about food because it's like we all have these ideas of what we think things taste like. And yeah. it's like comedy, you kind of go, but here's my spin on it. Yeah, I mean, especially him. He's got the, the craziest thing I think I've ever seen in my life food-wise was from Alinea. I'd never been there, but I, I saw a picture of this. Have you seen the, the pumpkin pie at Alinea? I don't okay, I, I'm going to I'm gonna pull this picture up because it is so insane like it, it, it i i it hurt my brain for a little i whoever's listening google pumpkin pie alinea i'm going to i sh- i've eaten it alinea but i didn't have the pumpkin pie okay look at this thing it's clear do you know what that looks like that looks like 
a pumpkin pie in a bad video game, like before yeah. they were able to fill in stuff. <laughs> yeah. It literally, it's like a clear jello almost. Uh, and it's just like completely see-through as a pie, but it has the crust there. And apparently he makes it with some dehydrated essence of pumpkin. And it tastes exactly like a pumpkin pie, but it looks like this. Like this blows my fucking mind every time I look at it. See, isn't that amazing? Because visually you see things and you, it, you're, you're almost preparing yourself. Like people go, I don't like the way that looks, so I'm not going to eat it. You right. know, in, in people's minds. Because when I went to Alinea, you know, they give you the balloon which is yeah. a which is the taffy? It's green apple. It doesn't taste like candy. It tastes like a fucking green apple, right? And then right. it's filled with helium that is infused with green apple. Oh, okay. so you! I took my mother and my father for my mother's birthday a few years back, and it was mind blowing. Really? And it and my parents aren't foodies. I mean, we're from the Midwest, from the Chicagoland area, and. They, you know, they don't, I mean, they, they enjoy food, but like they, they would never go into a place like that. And I said, we're, I'm going to take you here. I think, you know, this will be something. And it's, it was cool to watch them eat the stuff. Were you able to show them how much you were paying for it? Or was it one of those parent things where you were like, no, it's only $20 a person. Don't worry. It's all good. I brought out bags with money signs on them and I was still short. <laughs> um, it was so my, ridiculous because my father and I, got the wine pairing as well. Yeah. And the, um, which is of course another insane amount. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, we, you and I have a very expensive hobby. I, I sort of envy heroin addicts because you think like, or cocaine, I go, people are like, you know what, should I pay for that bag? I go, not as much as I paid for that burger. So, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's interesting because you're right that I think that the price point, it's interesting with those men and women, the chefs, they do, street food type things because it's it's much more of an accessible price point yeah absolutely which again I, and i totally understand that that's like a privilege and so i and it's one of those things that i that's sort of what i spend my money on in, mm -hmm. in a way because i go because it, at some point like there's not and god bless zara or h&m there isn't necessarily like a zara version of of a michelin star restaurant or at least what's considered that yet right. but then every now and then they'll do like smaller things like my buddy uh i don't i mean we're friendly i've known him for a long time he was grand Ackett sous chef chef dave baron who has dialogue on the promenade and he has pajoli and yeah. uh, you he know the hottest restaurants in la i'd say dude he's amazing he's such a legend of a person and like now what he's doing is more priced um priced down appropriate things so that his business can stay open so i i i, don't, I make no money off this i just think he's a g like you could look, he will sell you a dinner. Whereas like the dinners there are far more expensive, but yeah. now during quarantine, it's more of an accessible price point. And I'm like, dude, that's really an amazing thing for people that ever want to try something. He did something at Pajoli or he does something, which is a, he uses a, a very old school tool called a duck press. Duck press. Yeah. Yeah. Which, yeah. Which to me is like, I fucking love these things. Basically it's like a medieval torture device looking thing that yeah. has like a big wheel on top that you turn and it just crush you you fill like a kind of container with the duck guts and the bones and you squeeze it and all the marrow 
comes out in like a juice. It's literally like a cartoony thing. They did it at Next. And so I had it there. I, so I went to the friends and family opening. So I don't know what they do as a restaurant, but I do know that that was sort of one thing that he wanted to bring over. And yeah. the craziest thing about it is they bring it to the table, which right. I think is like a cool, for those people who like, which I also liked about some of these other places where you can be like, um, you can see the kitchen. Like that interests me. Just yeah. see how this, because some people are like, I don't want to know how a hot dog is made. And essentially it's like making a duck hot dog. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. But it's also like a super old school, like Paul Bocuse type tool that like yeah. old school French chefs would use, which I just, I love it. I think it's such a great move. I, I, I have zero desire to go to restaurants right now, but I would, that would be like number one on my list of where I'd, I'd want to go. I mean, I don't know about you, but like, it's funny. I have, I think it's maybe because I can cook and I'm okay with eating at home, but like I have no desire to sit around other people and be scared shitless of if they're sick. And I don't want like the waiter to come over with like a fucking welder's mask on and like read me the specials. <laughs> and like, I don't know, man, the anxiety it would give me, I think would outpace the enjoyment of the food I'm ordering in. But I don't know, no, no desire to go to a restaurant right now. Well, I've taught myself, well, with the help of the chef downstairs, how to cook more in quarantine. Yeah. And that's been a, 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 um, something that I've tried to do more about what can I make better or what can I, you know, do to, with this time that we're all presented with. And, um, you know, the thing about restaurants are I went, I went walking with my cousin who lives near me and we passed by picking up food um, cause we'll, we'll just go for a walk. We'll grab it. There's a restaurant that was open. One of the first to open and everyone is on top of each. This was like a, a month or two ago and everyone's on top of each other and the discomfort in people's faces. I told my cousin, it looks like everyone at those tables is telling the other person they want a divorce because they're so uncomfortable at the table. And like, they were unexpected, the bad news, but they have to finish the meal. I'm like, this, this doesn't look good. Like this, no, no good can come of this like ant hill or uh, ant farm mentality. No. That's going on right now. Oh God. It's such a shame. Cause especially for me and you I, guys like us, like literally all, a lot of the joy that I get from life is from eating out at restaurants. Like, and that might sound superficial and everything, oh. but, when they when they do these studies that they say, well, your money goes further if you spend it on experiences than on products. I'm like, well, that to me is an experience, and that those are like moments that stay with yeah. me and that I just enjoy like immensely. And to have those taken away, I, mind you, it's I know it pales in comparison to what other people are dealing with, yada yada yada. But fucking hey, man, I miss sitting at a crowded restaurant, bro. You're allowed to. Here's the thing about about this whole thing. People like you're allowed to miss things that are that matter to you, and I think because I think that if I if I may add to what you're saying, it's it's about the experiences that you have at that table. It's it's the food, but it's the people you're with. It's the drinks you're having. Yeah. I mean, you know, right before the shutdown, I had like a, a run in with somebody, and um, he was like, "Yo, do you want to come by?" This is when everything was normal, and the night wound up going to a restaurant that we were at till like two in the morning. And it was like, fuck, like, this is so fun. And I, I, I mean, I remember what we ate, we ate Chinese food, but it was like the experience that we're able to have in one of those round tables. And it was like the sort of the, 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 the life that existed across the table that was being fueled and literally fed by the food and the drink. And I think that that is what I'm really impassioned about is sharing those experiences 
with people like yourself who like do it just as much, if not more, or new people like my mother and father who would never do that stuff. Right. right. I think that's such an amazing part of life about, you know, and, and, and food and drink can really do that because I think that that's my favorite thing in life, which is surprise. Being yeah. surprised by things, being surprised by people, by the world. And I think that food and alcohol, for me, because I like a good cocktail, um, but even, you know, non-alcoholic stuff, when a lot of those restaurants do, I love that. And then sharing that with someone, that, that brings me great joy. Yes. And I miss that in this. Preach. Preach. Let's get to your fridge. You guys can see Jonathan's fridge. So that, um, let me be honest with you. That's not, can you hear me okay? You froze. Yes. Yeah, you can hear yes. me. So that's not even, um, brother, I have like a wine fridge in my closet. And I have four other places that are loaded with bottles. But these these need to be refrigerated at a different temperature than the red wine in the wine fridge. Right. So this is, um, yeah. So anyway, yeah. this is one wall. It's amazing. First, so you guys can see his fridge on my Instagram at standupdan. We're going to put it on blast. Jonathan, yeah. you have my favorite row of your fridges in the door on the I bottom knew it. row here. The bottom row here, it's got it's got it goes from classy to trashy. <laughs> You've so. got two bottles of beautiful champagne and then separating the two almost as a welcoming of what's to come is Kroger blue cheese dressing. And then boom, the white claw. So I don't, claw. I don't drink it. I had um, people over for a, a holiday party and it's something that I got like three cases of and that's what's left over. So right. everybody drank. It was one, and which is why I have all those, um, uh, like the, uh, the fever tree and everything. So that was just the white claw. But I was like, the, the thrifty guy in me, I'm like, you can't just like dump this out. <laughs> it's good to have, honestly, because everyone's drinking it now. I actually just got sent a bunch of, like New Belgium is doing their version of White Claw now. Oh, yeah. Amazing. Um, it's pretty cool. Actually, I'll, I'll tell them to send you some if you want to stock up. I would um, love that. That, that. that interests me. Yes, that is uh, exciting. Um, it's good to get free booze, man. That is that is a train that I just got onto this year, and I love it. Keep that's that the dream, guys. It's the yeah, that's the dream, bro. Um, I would love to get some free uh, salt and straw ice cream as well, uh, which you have a bunch of here, which is like some of my favorite ice cream in LA is these guys. By the way, there was no attempt to like to like make this look anything else than what it is. You know what I mean? Like, like, I don't like when people do that when they like, they, they, I mean, I, I guess you should clean up the house for company, but fridges and freezers are so telling of people yeah. that I'm like, I wasn't going to try to like organize all this shit. Like this is exactly what it looks like right now. I love it. I love it. It's a great fridge, great freezer. Do you use the whiskey stones? I see you have whiskey stones. I, in the, I do. You do? Yes. It cools, it cools down. I mean, I, I feel like, it doesn't, by the way, I'm here. Please send me free whiskey stones that work, people. Yeah. These are not great. Okay. But they're emergency in case I want to cool down a beverage quickly. So why not? I, I always get this wrong. When it comes to whiskey and brown liquids, are you not supposed to add a little bit of water? You can. Um, it depends. People add a little splash of soda, uh, a little bit of... Uh, it, so obviously it's got to be good. So I have the Brita. Yeah. And um, it's got to be clean water. And right. um, 
which is uh, the other important thing. And it doesn't dilute it. That's the thing about the whiskey. If you're drinking like excellent whiskey, you know, something like generic like Pappy or like, you know, um, uh, or great scotch, right? Yeah. You don't want that is it in and of itself is its own thing, right? Like it's like a, it's a world that exists. And so the moment you add in some sort of water, you're sort of destroying the bouquet. If you're like a real, and I, I, I collect like weird, rare scotches and whiskeys and whatnot. And so for me, it's the, it's the easiest way to just sort of like drink it as it was intended instead of like, and if I need water, then have it off to the side, have a yeah. water back, but don't mix it in. You know, it's like salting something before you tasted it. Yeah, I get that. Um, you know, I've had Pappy a bunch of times and I love it, but I, I hate their business practices, which is they basically make stores buy a bunch of their shitty vodka that they make. And if you buy enough of the shitty vodka, then they give you the opportunity to sell you their Pappy. Yeah. Uh, which is so, uh, that like bums me out so much. Like I would do anything to just find something I'm sure there's stuff that's just as good that's a lot cheaper too. There is. I got it. Um, the only reason I have it is um, I never owned it before. And then a friend of mine, shout out to Larry Rice, who um, who is a bar owner and manager and um, restaurant owner out of the Louisville area. Uh, the Silver Dollar is one of them. And um, he has a bunch of them, but he's also runs the, I believe, the part of the North American Whiskey Exchange. I'm going to get that wrong. But the first time he ever hung out, we were introduced to a mutual friend and I was going to the Derby. This is like a few years ago and uh, maybe 10. And he goes, they're like, my buddy wants to stop by. And he brought a bottle in a paper bag and it was a, and he pulled out a bottle, no label, just started drinking it. And we had it. And I, after a while, I kind of was like, wow, I would, I would, you know, I always asked like, where can I get this? I'd like to purchase this. He goes, you don't have a label on it though. Is there like, a, did you make this? And he goes, oh no, no, me. He's like, this bottle is from prohibition. We didn't, there was no, there's no label on it because they had to hide it from the police. I said, the like hundred year old prohibition? He's like, oh yeah. What? So, so that guy has an insane uh, spirits collection and he had sort of, he had like done me a, like he was, I said, if you ever have any pappy that you're looking to get rid of or whatever, let me buy it off you at a, um, you know, whatever rate you think is cool. And because he's a good friend, he didn't even sell it to me until it was like he could afford to like, sell it at the price that it should be, which is significantly cheaper than what it is at retail. Yeah. So I was like, oh, cool. So I have it for like very special occasions to cheers, you know, momentous celebrations and whatnot. I love it. Yeah, I would love to do the uh, the bourbon trail. That's a little dream of mine. Have you done that? I So when, when I go down there, I feel like the Kentucky Derby has, like if you go down as a guest, you are needed every second of the day. Because uh -huh. which is a nice thing. Like they're incredible hosts. I've gone multiple times. Um, they're so nice, but I never get a chance to do more than like, you know, because there's like a parade and a lot of tradition and oh yeah, and, and there's all booze, right? Like you're never without booze, and it's cool because you can like bid on booze um for uh for charity for auctions, which yeah. I sort of have done that a bunch of times as well. And so you really feel like Drinking for charity is the best is the best of both worlds. <laughs> You're a hundred percent. I was like, I have to do this or the cancer wins. And, um, uh, and so, you know, but I think you and I should say this right now. We should go do that together. We will get a whole crew and go. It's funny because I didn't know how big of a deal it was to uh, to the Louisvillians. It's their oh, Hunger no, Games. No. 
It's their Hunger Games. It is. Because they do, and they do actually get to eat the horses that don't win, I think. I said that. I was like, I, will, I go, that second place one, bring him to my room. Have you ever eaten horse? I've never had horse. I have had horse. I don't shop at Ikea. Um, what, uh, <laughs> where did you have horse? I had horse in Montreal at Au Pied de Cochon. They had a horse tartare that they put in a, like, they made like a hand roll. So they did it like a horse tartare in a hand roll with a quail egg on top. And it was insanely amazing. I'm sure. And it's very like the, the meat is like almost, it's like almost pink because it's got so much oxygen going through it because they're such athletic animals, which is kind of gross, but also kind of, it's super lean and delicious. But are you, well, I was going to say, are there, are there, is there a line that you won't, because like, there's a couple of things I won't eat right. out of, um, out of uh, just like, I just won't eat them. And I, nothing I, taste or like, I don't, you know. I'll right. I, my line is endangered animals. I think that's my line. And also like, I, the, the, the question inevitably goes to dog, right? And yeah. I think... The thing that bothers me about the dog stuff, which I just found out early on, because I used to do a bit about like, why are, you know, <laughs> this bit never went well about like, hey, why are we so cool about eating pigs and dogs are exactly like pigs. And, you know, uh, we, we give people shit for eating dogs. What I didn't know is like they torture the shit out of the dogs because they think that that like makes them taste better if they fuck with them before they die. So I'm not down with that. But if it's like a free range dog, that's you know uh corn like grass-fed dog i'm like did that dog commit a hate crime yeah i'm gonna eat it <laughs> yeah if it was a bad dog if it was a mean dog that like bit a kid or something I'd yeah eat that yeah, dog. yeah is that dog a bigot huh. bring him to my room yeah <laughs> i don't know what's your line i won't eat shark fin soup yeah um, that's yeah there's a cruelty to it, and, it, and, and the, the grossest part about it is, like, in, it, I think emotionally, it doesn't add any flavor to the broth. It's just like a, a feather in the cap. Oh, really? It's not like a gelatinous uh, thing? It, not enough. Not, not, and right. maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you're going to have a lot of um, shark fin soup eaters who are going to write in, like, on their typewriter. Yeah. This show does really well in Vietnam, by the way. You should know. Brother, I, I was going to say <laughs> Japan, but yes. Um, <laughs> And I won't, I don't eat veal. I have had it my whole life as I pull up a, a shank, but yeah. I won't eat veal. I've done it. And I think, you know, unless, I guess I've like slipped on it a couple times, but I think it's, you know, the, the cruelty that goes into that. Um, There's some people doing humane veal, but the majority of the veal that you're getting at a restaurant is not the humane veal. No. Uh, and so I'm, I'm like, you know what you eat, I eat everything. Um, I'm, I have no food allergies and, you know, I, I pretty much like the taste of everything. So I, I feel like I don't really miss out by not having the veal. Um, yeah. And I ate it for so long. So it's, it's not like I've had my fill of veal, but it's like I've had a lot. But yeah, I don't think that there's much more that I would, I would say. Would you eat horse? Would you do a horse? I don't think I would turn it down. I think it, it, I've thought about it. And um, I think about we eat pig. And pigs are so smart. Yeah, they're like dogs. They're literally like dogs. Yeah, yeah. But fatter and, and not some not cuter, but but definitely like I, if I owned a pig and I thought about getting a teacup pig for a while, I was Did like, you really? Yeah, because I like me, like I feel like that would be like my thing. Like if I was an action figure, you know, sometimes they come with a little buddy. 
Yeah. I feel like mine would be a teacup pig. And so like, and then I was like, if that would be the case, I'm like, I couldn't eat pork anymore. Yeah, exactly. I wonder if people don't have dogs as pets in, in places that eat dog because of that same reason. Well, I, I can only tell you, so I did, I went to China to do stand up, and, um, vice China interviewed me Uh and off mic. They're like, you can say whatever you want. Like this is vice. We're super candid. So let's just do it. And then right before the camera rolls, they go, you cannot talk about drowning girls. Like, not that I brought that up to them where I was like, can we just, I mean, is that cool? And then they're like, you can't talk about eating dogs. And I was like, oh, and they're like, and action. And then I'm just, and then it's like me just like, hey, did you eat those girls before you drowned them, dogs? Um, I'm like, wow, those were really, I'm like, have you had a problem with people bringing up those two things like right out of the gate? Yeah, I don't get the drowning girls thing. Is that a thing? Yeah, because when they're one child households that, um, oh, okay, they, they always wanted a, a male because they would be able to, his seed would be able to, further that the, right. the lineage whereas women huh, were just fucking taking up space am i right china um <laughs> so anyway i was like well i wasn't but i go now i can only think of those two things yeah same um wow yeah that's yeah i guess i guess that sounds like an okay list of things to not talk about <laughs> <laughs> well i did a joke about communism but not a bad joke, China. It was just about Mao Zedong. Cut to our computers just shutting down right now. That's what I said. That's exactly right. It's like, wait, what, what's going on my phone? Hold on. Um, but uh, that, uh, and, I, and, I, and I did it in a, in a, there was not even a, there was no, Mao Zedong was not the punchline. It wasn't the setup. Communism, it just, communism was in the joke. Yeah. When I tell you, you have never heard deafening silence, then you have heard a raucous, show at that volume go to black no way nothing and it was like okay lesson learned oh yeah wow and then you were like all right i'm gonna get him back with my girl drowning bit and you're like like, hey who's drowned a girl here (laughs) this guy knows what i'm talking about can i get some dog Table two. Try it. Yeah. I know we say try the veal try the schnauzer it's like a hot dog (laughs) But it's spelled H-A-W-T because that dog is, ah, he gets it. Um, Secret yeah. police come in and, like, take out everyone that you pointed to and said he gets it. Yeah. <laughs> they don't realize that I'm an undercover for a communism agent. Right. He gets it, right? Agree with me? You fucking got him. Um, <laughs> but that's why I like traveling so much. A country, you know, that's one of the big thing. Like, when they, when they always ask me if ever I'm lucky enough to go overseas places, if someone's like, what do you want to do? I'm like... I want to, you know, eat what you eat and drink what you drink. Yeah, it's the best. It's the best way to connect with other people, too. Exactly. Honestly. All right, we're going to get to the questions that I ask every guest at the end of the episode, towards the end of the episode, Uh, starting with what is your earliest food memory? Uh, I would say my grandmother's uh, cooking, my grandmother, my father's mother, who made everything from scratch. And she would make cornflake tr- fried chicken. Mm. It was made in the oven. And she would make barley and, a, and brisket. And, you know, I think that there's an idea that people go like, oh, well, my grandmother had the best brisket. I actually never had brisket better than the one that she made. And, and I, 
and I can still remember how good it was and sort of being blown away by going to restaurants and be like, oh, I like brisket because I've had it at grandmother's house. And then I would get it at the restaurant and I'd be like, this is, this is terrible. And, uh, grandma's brisket. and and she made these things called magic bars, uh, which were pastries that had on like honey and coconut and chocolate and graham cracker wafers. And so she would make everything from scratch by hand. Wow. And she would have dinner at her house every Friday night it, since I was born. I and love so, it. So I remember her food and it was like a very special thing because we had brunch at her house on Sunday morning, every Sunday morning. And we had dinner at her house on Friday night, every Friday night. So it was around the table and we would eat. Wait, was this a, was, I didn't even know. Are you Jewish? Was this a Shabbat thing? It wasn't. I mean, yes, but, but, um, uh, but we, it was less of the religious thing and more the cultural thing. Like yeah, we'd have Passover dinner at her house. We would have, um, you know, uh, we would do Hanukkah there. We would do Yom Kippur, and she would make matzo ball soup. Was amazing, but nothing was quite as memorable as that chicken or that brisket or that barley. Mm. What is your death row meal? So there is, um, I think, if I was like angry at the system. If if they, somebody if they, if I was like I didn't kill that person I would right. order all you could eat sushi I would do it with an all you can eat menu that had like dessert in it because you know you can trick your body into eating back and forth of salt and sweet right so I'm like I would do it to the point where depending on if I got like the chair or something I'm like you're gonna deal with a mess like if I shit myself it is this is you're going to have to retire this fucking chair. And so, um, but if I, if I, if I was like, damn, I, I committed a horrendous crime or like, you know, um, you got me, you caught me and justice system good on you. I'd probably, there's a, there is a, um, a place called um, the Walker brothers pancake house that is um, in Illinois. It's all, it's other places. I had it in South Korea. They, they franchised it, but um but oh, yeah, it's that franchise that's in Illinois and South Korea. Yeah, well, you know, there's a lot of Koreans, there's a lot of Illinoisans in Korea. Um, <laughs> right. but uh, but there it's it's from Portland originally, and um, I've only seen it one place, it's uh, outside of uh, the states, and that was in uh, in uh, Seoul. And um, I would get the 49er flapjacks, which were these incredibly thin sourdough pancakes as if they had been made on a skillet like a very a large skillet okay i get them and they come with butter and syrup are they like crepes they're not like crepes they're not as sweet they're more sourdough okay they, uh the yeah, other they're a sourdough batter and then there's like a real like buttermilk butter like real like thick like um yeah that would like you know help grandpa get up to tend to the crops and um yeah. And then a syrup, a maple syrup, and then there are these um, hash browns that they make. Then they and then you can get them loaded with like all these um, really spicy peppers and cheeses and tomatoes and mushrooms and onions. Mm. And um, and then there'd be there's like there's fat back bacon that comes mm. that I get whenever I go home, and I have that meal every time I go home. Oh my god. Yeah, it's it's so good. So that would be it. Chicago is not good for the uh, cholesterol. Although I do think Chicago has some of the more interesting, like Avec is like one of my favorite restaurants in the country. Yeah. It's, it's like casual fine dining at its best. Yes, absolutely. Well put. What is the best high-end meal you've ever had? That dinner that I had at... Um, at uh, 
Alinea? Next. No, the one at Next. Oh, at Next. Oh, yeah. It was so good that it actually prompted Freddie and I, who I had it with, to go to Japan. Wow. And we took a food tour and we went up to the Nika Distillery, Nika Whiskey in Hokkaido. And we went on, um, uh, we, we, we like were booking tickets and we literally went to Japan like four months later. Oh my God. And we did like Michelin star restaurants there. And um, it was what, it was one of the most, and it was, it was an inspiring meal. I think Tokyo is the best food city in the world. Hands down. No questions. I was just there for my birthday in September. And um, I try to go back as much. And I think it's one of the best drinking cities in the world too. When I first went like years ago, a buddy of mine, um, Hueno-san had this bar called Bar High Five. And um, that now is the fifth bar, best bar in the world ranked. Wow! And I and it's amazing because like like the people there, there there's so much care and love. I, he slept in the wall when Freddie and I went to visit him, and he lived really because you know Tokyo obviously is so expensive to live. He would literally pull the curtains back, and there was a a, a hole in the wall where he would sleep if it was too late, and he had to be back the next day, and he couldn't take the train. And then the next time I went to visit him, he was ranked 13th in the world. And now he's five. Oh my God. And I was like, dude, I go, I go, obviously I'm some, I'm, I'm, he's a friend of mine and I'm a fan of his, uh, but I go, man, I'm so like, every time I see him, I'm just like, I can't believe, like, I'm so glad to have known you then to see what you are now. I mean, the amount of pride that these guys take in their food culture, I mean, in their culture in general, but in the food is just like, it's like nothing you could ever imagine. Because I feel like here in America, at least we do so many things for recognition and they don't do it for recognition. They don't care. Like there's so many, there's so many times when you catch them doing stuff that you're like, Hey, no one's going to, no one's going to know that you did that. Why are you doing that? You know? Like from the gardener to the, you know, the person cleaning up at the restaurant. It's like, it's unbelievable the amount of pride that they have in their food. And it's also like a cool, like, I don't know, you're like time traveling almost. Like where else can you like have a scotch, smoke a Cuban cigar and listen to live jazz at the same time? You're so right. And you know, what's funny is I, when somebody asked me to describe Tokyo, I said, it's the respect of the past meets the technology of the future. Like ramen, right? Like there's there's literally like 10 ramen shops every three feet. And you go, well, yeah, you, whereas in America and, you know, God bless the USA, but there's a lot of shitty restaurants that exist here. Right. And they they can't afford to be shitty because ramen, which isn't even that old, it's like a hundred year old idea. Right. But it's like, if you don't, if, if my ramen shop is not good enough, then you'll just go to yours. And so right. it's like, you have to be competitive. You can't just be, because they will wait. Nagi Ramen is my favorite place, ramen shop in the world. It's in the Golden Guy District. It's a sardine broth ramen. So I go every time I've gone. Every time I, I discovered it when I was there, and I'll go every time. People I have, and people have waited outside in the rain to go up there. Because it's like, this is what you want. There are other ramen shops. But it's like, if, if it's that good, then you will wait. And, it, and I think it's that good. Yeah. And it's, they're, they're so niche there too. I went to a one-star Michelin sardine restaurant that just was sardines. <laughs> I love that. It was amazing. It was like 10 courses of sardine. I was like, this is fucking weird and wacky and uh, I want to die there. I love it. I thought about moving. If I go, if I could work 
if because they don't really have any stand up, you know, or they're acting, but it's not, it's just so different than we are. I was like, man, how do I get a job in Japan? Yeah. There's got to be a way, man. You know how like, like jazz music, I spoke to a bunch of the jazz musicians there and they're all like Americans and they're like, yeah, we don't get paid shit in America for jazz, but here, like they treat jazz musicians like rock stars. So like a lot of the Americans go there because they make a ton of money and they're treated with like so much respect. I don't know, man. You got to find your niche. You got to be like one of those weird like hosts of something. Which by the way, Japan, I will be <laughs> that weird host. What is the best low end meal you've ever had? So there's a, there's a, there's a place back home that has a tuna melt sandwich that I got it with a buddy of mine and we definitely, he got it. And I also got the sandwich and a buddy of ours got another thing. And I was so sick the next day I got food poisoning from it. Yeah. But it was, I said, we both agree on the phone. We'd have it again. Oh, (laughs) you're endorsing a rotten tuna melt sandwich. I guess that's as low end as you can get. That is, that's what I mean. That's low end. It was bad. <laughs> but my God, was it worth having again. Oh, my God. That is, that's the best five-star Yelp review for, for a place I've ever heard. You're going to get sick, but you won't get sick of it. <laughs> uh, you are a man who enjoys the sauce like myself. What is your favorite uh, drunk food? My favorite drunk food is gotta be, I'm trying to think of what I do because I am careful to not. (sighs) So out here, it's definitely taco truck stuff. Yeah. Because I wouldn't eat a burrito and a nachos and two taquitos and a taco at any sit down dinner. But like when there's a place, my buddy lives downtown and whenever we get plastered, he lives walking distance to a lot of bars. Yeah. There's a taco truck that we we will order like the menu oh. for everybody. And and it's like, and, and then the next day I always, 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 always regret it. Regret but, it, yeah. But I think in terms of like my favorite thing to eat drunk is I love I love eating um kebab. Oh, you're a donor drunk. guy. Yeah. I love doner. And and I I search the world for great doner because my buddy Freddie, who's another guy, that, this guy that I travel with, he's um, from Syria, and he has a very particular belief in his mind that we're trying to find the perfect doner in the world. Yeah, and and I'm like, and I always tell him there is a place in London we did find, but I feel like it was a kosher doner place, right. and I was like, this is not because we would go to these places in London, and I'm like, these are garbage. Yeah. That's why they're open now because you have to be drunk to eat them. Exactly. But I love Middle Eastern. I love, yeah, like that type of region, Mediterranean. I love Donair. Yeah. That's a very fun, that's, that might be my favorite drunk food too, like a shawarma or something. Oh, 100%. A lot of extra sauce. Yeah. All the weird pickles. Oh my God. I go, yeah. Whatever you (laughs) do it, double it. Tahini dripping down your face like a garbage man. As you're screaming at your friends, I've done that. I can tell you, I'm literally thinking of an exact thing. Two years, two New Year's ago, my buddy Eric and, and Freddie and I went to London, and there is just me, just like like a Viking who's never won a war, who just came back from war, who that he won, just like ah, screaming with like shawarma. <laughs> so, I think shawarma might be. Well, I'll just lead us into the next question. Might be my favorite hangover food as well. Do you have a specific hangover food? 
that uh, I try to eat. I know this is going to sound crazy. I try to eat the healthiest thing I possibly can the next day. Really? Um, yeah, because I sort of come to my senses in a real Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde a mentality where I'm like the next day where I'm like, what atrocities did I commit last night? Right. And I see that I go through the garbage, like a, like a, like a guy Pierce in memento trying to figure out the crime from the night before. And, uh, I'm like, Oh my God, did I, Oh, like I really do have those moments unapologetically. And so what I try to do is I always try to eat like a salad or a wrap or like, um, I mean, always coffee. Like I, that's like a, is as much as I'm a booze person, I'm a, I'm a man. I think it'd be so tough for me to give up coffee because I drink it often. Yeah. I think if I had to give up one or the other, I'd I, I, actually, I'd, I, I'd rather commit suicide than have to give up one or the other. Dude. It's like, it's so hard because and I've done it. I've done it just to like sort of test myself. Can you give up coffee? But I enjoy it so much and I enjoy drinking it in other countries, like going to Istanbul and having them like, like have that coffee that's like the drip. Yeah. It literally looks like a, a sharp like mud thing. Yeah. 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 It's like a, yeah. And, and you're like, all right. I don't, yeah. I, I think this might be the first place uh, that I disagree with you. I would never, ever have a salad after having that drink. That sounds like torture to me. It's torture. It's, <laughs> it is. You're, you, I, by the way, I wish I had your um, diligence, your commitment, because I, I'm never like a guy who's like, you know, have a drink, have a drink of water, have a drink, have a drink of water. I'm always like seven shots in and I'm like, Ooh, water. I'll get it. And then I never do. And yeah. so my organs just feel like they're trying to tap out. I've been trying to get a lot better at the water in between move and it definitely helps. I mean, I'm drinking so much more during quarantine where I decided, okay, here's what I'll do. I'll cut out all the hard stuff. So I'm not really drinking cocktails. I'm just having wine every night and I'm just like, becoming a fucking sommelier i'm using wine as my as my i feel like you don't have to say you're an alcoholic if you drink wine you're like oh, i'm a wine snob <laughs> yeah that's totally true that's how the french have gotten away from with years <laughs> yeah it's a country 100%. full of alcoholics they're like no, 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 no we're not alcoholics we are we're we're appreciators of terroir yeah that's exactly right that is so dead on who is your favorite celebrity food personality? Could be a chef, could be a Bourdain, could be a It whatever. is Bourdain, and I'll tell you why. Because I didn't like him initially. I didn't, I wasn't a fan. Hmm. And then he, and again, it brings back to what I said earlier. I genuinely, my favorite thing about life is being surprised. And I started to do an impression of him while I was learning about him. And, um, which is I, probably, by the way, one of my favorite impressions of yours. I hate to ask oh. you to do it, but. I would say to try. I'm having quarantine when a lot of the restaurants are closed. The one in your kitchen is always open. For family and friends come together right here in the heart. This is 2020. Um, but I um I love Anthony Bourdain so much. And now I and I'm like, damn, and I love that I didn't like him before because then it was like, dude, without trying, this guy just was so impressive. It was like impossible not to respect him and to love him. And it was like, and I didn't even like dislike him out of spite or anything. I was just kind of like, I didn't get it what people liked about him. And the truth was, I was like, well, let me, um, let me learn about him. And nobody was like, nobody was like hounding me to be like, be a fan of that guy, you loser. I just was like, okay, I'll start watching his stuff. And I, and I took a road trip back from Illinois to here where my father, I went to go visit my parents, my father um, and my mother still live in the house I grew up in. And so I like, 
flew in and then drove a car back because I needed to, uh, I bought a car from this thing. And um, I listened to Anthony Bourdain the whole way back. And I was like, wow, I fucking love this guy. Yeah. And it was a road trip where it was like just me and Anthony Bourdain. He's one of my favorites. I think he just kind of, it's funny though, for guys like me and you, I feel like his suicide really shook me to the core because I was like, you know, we say that thing of like, well, food and all those experiences, like that's what makes life, those are, those are more important than, than, you know, materials and stuff. And I feel like no one was the poster child for food and experiences and adventure than, than he. So it's like, I remember just having this real kind of existential moment when he died. I'm like, fuck, I'm, like, are we doing it wrong? Yeah. I mean, I think the thing that I tried to use it to remind me of is that no matter what is happening in my life, you know, if you don't, and again, I don't, I'm not talking about him. I'm talking about my, I look at reflective and I go, my, I have my own demons. And so that I masking them will only stop the dam for a while. Right. And that I think about the things that I'm putting off and that I sort of want to come to terms with and sort of be like, I need to work through these things and, um, and, 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 and still having that side of it. And the truth is, I also think about, you know, another guy like Robin Williams, who uh, committed suicide, who's my idol, that you never truly know what someone is going through. Right. And um, there's that great Plato quote where, you know, it's, I'm going to butcher it, um, uh, that, you know, be kind to everyone you meet in, on, in this road because everyone's fighting a hard battle. And no matter what you perceive, like take, take everything with a grain of salt, not to cook with it, but you know, it's like you, whatever you love about them, you absolutely should love about them and know that you're never fully getting the full picture. Even if you think somebody has it better than you or whatever judgment you're putting on their lives, it isn't their lives. It's their life through your lens. Right. Absolutely. So I guess we're never going to go to restaurants again. Is that what we're you you pull out you realize i've been at a restaurant the whole time <laughs> I go, i'll take the check thank you speaking of being in restaurants well, this is my favorite question what is your restaurant pet peeve because i have so many of them so cell phones at the table that people take calls i'm like oh that, good one that's like a, are you fucking kidding me like i will talk i will be like yo get off the, what are you doing yeah um i'll stop talking i will stop mid conversation if they, if they even pick up their phone to like just check texts and stuff i'll just wait till they're done for I sure i hate it well i always have my phone in my pocket and um and if it's out i will say i'm like i apologize uh, like my manager is calling me about a job tomorrow right you know i remember there's a very specific time that i i did take a call outside but it's a great regret of my life when i was on a date one time i really wish i had been like I, the deal needed to be made that night. And it was like 830 because I was testing for the pilot the next day. And I was just like, I'm so sorry. Like, but I should have been like, you know what, if they really want me or if I, you know, then they should have, I, I could have taken better care of that dinner. Like in my head, I have that regret. It's tough. I mean, that's tough. That's a tough one. I get it. Why did the date get torpedoed after that? No, but I think it was like a general attitude that like, I sort of, cause we have like our careers are anything could happen at any moment. Like my phone is out right now, but it's face down and I have not looked at it. Not, you know, I have no idea if somebody's calling me or whatever. And I think we take these isolated moments, which I really appreciate stuff like this. I try to be as present as I possibly can. Yeah. And you know, the comic Sam Morrill, 
Yes. Yeah. I, he doesn't know me, but I'm a huge fan of his. He posted this thing on Instagram this morning or whenever it was, maybe yesterday, where he is doing stand-up and he goes, I'm out here risking my life and yet this girl is still on her phone. And there was a girl in the front row of his show during the pandemic on her phone. And it's like, oh, my God. <laughs> and I was just like, dude, that is so funny. That's and, awesome. Um, and, um, you know, and that's what I do love about stand-up is I love – I really do want to give my best because that's what I think that life is about, connecting and having those connections and, and also being there for that other person and for them to not feel like, oh, there's also, like, this thing over here that I could – I might have to get at any moment – and I do think about, you know, the times of my life where, cause I, like, I really am annoyed about that when in, 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 in restaurants where people are sort of on their phones or, um, and sometimes that's the relationship that you have with people, right? Like you have right. friends that like you guys are just on your phones, but I think especially with a significant other or like with my parents, I am very aware of not being on my phone or having it away unless I have. And I, it's so funny that that must've it stuck with me forever though, that I was at sushi and I was like, Fuck, I have to go outside. And I, and they were like, and I was on a, I was on a call with three different agents oh, yeah. manager. And I was like, I got to take this because, and I felt awful. Yeah. I really did. I felt terrible. And I think, so that to me is like a pet peeve. Well, I love it. I love you, Jonathan. Love thank you, you so much. Is there anything you would like to plug? Tell the people where to find you. So I'm doing, uh, my Instagram is at Jonathan Kite. I'm doing a new show that is a talk show that's a singular um, sort of uh, uh, a rant or a monologue that's in the vein of like Trevor Noah or John Oliver or John Stewart. And it is um, uh, maybe Bill Maher, New Rules at the end, like with Bill Maher, which I really respect. And it's my sort of take on the world and i have two episodes up right now one of them is on why juneteenth should be our new independence day and at least a federal holiday and the second one is about kanye west running for president and the third one which i'm shooting and writing this week is about the new pandemic that's sort of sweeping the nation the coronavirus <laughs> where can people watch this on instagram at jonathan kite it's on my igtv I love it. All right, Jonathan, thank you so much. And uh, love you, man, so good to see your face. You brother. too. Uh, All right, take care. Take care, dude. This episode of Green Eggs and Dan was produced by Andrew Stephen. Executive produced by Jeff Umbro and The Podglomerate. You can find more of their podcasts at thepodglomerate.com. The theme music is Beautiful Food by Idan. And interstitial music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. If you like this show, please tell a friend, share an episode, and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. 
Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.